This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1231. I am Rob Jan and today's episode is entitled The Day the Train Stood Still. My commiserations to any fellow suffering commuters out there and computers too. I'm sure that there are beings who fall into both categories out there in zero-g land. Now, our podcast title today is Harry Potter and the Hogwart to Hoggle, to mix our David Bowie labyrinthal references there. And I'm only a muggle, but we do have our co-host Megan McHugh, who has caught the Hogwarts Express today to provide our feature interview with some assuredly non-muggles from the Melbourne production of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And to lead into that, I am going to play a track called Dragons, which is by Imogen Heap, and it's from the soundtrack to the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child play. So here we go with some dragons here. Hello, I'm Ray Harryhausen, animation pioneer. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Yeah, we are dragging along there with some dragons by Imogen Heap, and that is from the soundtrack of the Melbourne production of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And speaking of which, we have our co-host Megan McHugh, who's put a lot of work into... Actually, sounds like she just had a lot of fun, come to think of it, but that's all right. That's the way we roll here on Zero G. And she's just having a chat to some people who she will introduce you to from Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Over to Megan right now. So today I get to talk about Harry Potter again, which is probably my favourite thing. Uh, And that's because two-part stage play Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is now showing in Melbourne at the Princess Theatre. A couple of weeks ago here on Zero G, we did review Melbourne's production of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on the show because I was lucky enough to go along. Uh, So I'll link that show in today's episode description. Uh, In that show, we cover some of the history, facts and figures uh, in that rundown. So you can check that out if you want to hear a little bit more about the actual show itself. But in short, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is the eighth Harry Potter story and it's told as a theatrical production and it features characters from the original series as adults as well as some new characters to love and loathe plus a healthy dash of time-twisting, dark plotlines and betrayal. Uh, So today we're lucky enough to have two of the cast members in the studio to discuss their experience being part of this magical production. So we have Sean Reese weems and he has previously appeared on stage in the provocative play Fury from Red Stitch Theatre Company, on TV in public service satire Utopia and in the dark suburban drama film Jindabyne. He plays the still kind of working it all out teen Albus Potter. 
Lucy Golby graduated from NIDA and has previously worked on an abundance of theatre, including Bell Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra and good works from Darlinghurst Theatre, for which she received a Sydney Theatre Award nomination. Lucy plays feisty Ginny Weasley, who is much more than just the wife of Harry Potter. Uh, Sean and Lucy, welcome to Zero G. Hello. Thank you for pronouncing my name right. <laughs> I did get a little heads up beforehand, but you're welcome. <laughs> uh, I guess so, just jumping quickly. Um, before this, were you already fans of Harry Potter or was it a brand new journey for you? I, I've always been a really massive fan. I, I started loving Harry Potter, I want to say at like five or six. Um, I've told this, this before, but I actually have a cat named Hermione. Nice. That, um, yeah, I named really young. So, I've, yeah, I've always been a huge fan of Harry Potter. I've been a big fan too. I, pro- I came to it later, I think, um, but was immediately completely captivated by the books, yeah. I haven't seen all of the films. I think um, I'm much more the imaginative world kind of fan. Yeah, right. So, yeah, and there's something just so magical about being able to create all of that when you're reading a book that I know people love the films, but <laughs> I, I'm just not sure it does it justice in quite the same way. So you kind of have your own idea in your mind about what the characters might be like that isn't as influenced? Yeah, I think so, maybe, yeah. Um, it's certainly hearing people talk about the representations of some of the characters based on their film interpretation yeah. of the character is really interesting. Um, and I guess that's where we have a really unique position of being the third medium to represent mm. this world. Um, and, yeah, and it's, and it's a new interpretation again, as theatre always is. But I think much more closely aligned to the books than the films because film gives you everything. You know, you're, you're kind of a consumer of film. Whereas mm. with um, with books and with theatre, you really have to be an active participant, and yeah. that's what I love so much about it. Yeah, film very much holds your hand and tells you kind of what you're meant to be perceiving, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Whereas books and theatre is a bit more open. I think so. Yeah. Um, okay, so I guess talk to me about your journey going into this. Like, what were you guys doing before, and you know, when you found out about the auditions and so on, what was kind of that process for you going from pre-cursed child to being right in it? I, I My first audition for this project was a self-tape that I shot in a hostel bathroom in London. Nice. Um, so, so it was all pretty kind of slapdash. Um, I, was, I was backpacking at the time um, and I wasn't, I wasn't auditioning for stuff. And my agent sort of contacted me and was like, I know you're a massive fan of Harry Potter. This is a great project and starting after you get back anyway. So I thought I'd email you mm. on the off chance that you, you know, really wanted to do this which I, I did he knew um, about the cat <laughs> yeah exactly. um, and I don't know I, I was at a point in my life where I was at a real crossroads like I just finished high school I was studying something completely irrelevant to acting at the time and I was quite I'd been doing acting for quite a while and I was kind of disenfranchised by it in the sense that I was I was coming up against a lot of disappointments mm. um and it, it, this this project really reignited a love for acting that I had. I think I was in serious danger of losing, considering how important it is to me. It had been to me through my life and is to me now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my journey with it. Did hmm. you have hope? Did you feel like when you're in the hostel bathroom, like filming your? <laughs> no. Did you have hopes that you might, you know? It's really funny. Where there was there's something so magical about Harry Potter mm. that a little part of me kind of gave over to that magic, which yeah. is su- such a, like a golden rule of auditioning that you don't do that. Um, you know, the, the project comes in and you kind of, you read the script and you immediately so often love it and you just want it so badly and, and to indulge that I might get it mentality is incredibly dangerous because mm. it sets yourself up for disappointment every yeah. time. You have to be sort of 
you know, you have to let each one come and go and be really okay with that, and otherwise it'll really... And I think that was my mistake. I think that's why I started to get so 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 down by it all, is that I'd, I'd, projects would come along and I'd, be, I'd, I'd love them and I'd yeah. want them so badly, and then when they wouldn't work out and I wouldn't get them, it, it sort of builds up. Um, but, yeah, I think a little part of me from the beginning was like, this could happen and this would be arguably the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, yeah. I'm curious. You mentioned you were studying something totally irrelevant to acting. Yeah. What I was, was it? I was, I, I, I'm still doing an arts degree um, and my majors were literature and Islamic studies. So quite far removed from, um, I suppose literature and theatre have pretty, mm. pretty obvious overlap. But yeah, for the most part, that wasn't really my, my focus. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was immediately drawn to it. I mean, the Harry Potter and the magic and all of those things are, you know, indescribably amazing. But I think it was also the fact that it was a um, a new play. I mean, it existed. It existed in London and was hadn't yet opened when we started auditioning here, but was, you know, scheduled for Broadway. Um, but it was a lot of my own resume is working on new work and, and creating worlds and... Um, creating characters and and that this was an opportunity to do that in a setting and on a scale that is so incredibly rare for theatre. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, musical theatre, yeah, sure. They, they do a lot of this. They do long-running shows. They do big shows, big budgets, lots of people, all of that stuff. Um, but as straight theatre actors, it's so much of it is so mm. foreign. Um, and I actually did see the show in London um, before I had auditioned. And I do remember that, you know, it, it, it's so spectacular. And whether you know Harry Potter or not, it mm. is entirely spectacular. Um, and and then it came to a scene where it just zoomed down and it was two people sitting on the edge of the bed having a really domestic and, I mean, intimate conversation. And I just went, oh, this is a this is a play. This is a play like like I know plays, like theatre actually, but on, mm. on this huge stage with all of these people. Um, and then as we now discover, all of these people that have never been to the theatre before um, and all of these people that are drawn there because of Harry Potter and then welcome to theatre and people that come because theatre and then they're welcome, introduced to Harry Potter. Um, yeah, so I guess that was what I was really excited about, was um, bringing something of that scale to, to Australia and to the world of, of straight plays. Um, I guess the other story, which I haven't actually told before, I don't even know if you know this story, because yeah. um, Gareth, who plays Harry, and I were rehearsing Anthony and Cleopatra together. I do know this story. Yeah. I do know this story. It's a really good one. It's yeah, a great yeah. story. So we actually, so we've been cast in Anthony and Cleopatra, and we met at our um, audition because part of the audition was a group movement sequence. Um, and so he arrived and came over and was like, oh, hi, I'm Gareth. We're about to do Anthony and Cleopatra together. And I was like, oh, amazing. So, it's so nice to meet you, et cetera. So we did that, and then... Um, we were rehearsing Anthony and Cleopatra and we, we kept getting the emails and the, you're still on the table and we're still talking about it. And so every day we'd come to rehearsal and kind of have this little raised eyebrow in <laughs> silence conversation like, I used to, yep, me, okay, great. In amongst, you know, in amongst <laughs> lots of NDAs and secrecy. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. So no um, one was saying anything. Like right. no one even knew. It's that. a little bit like Fight Club. It, yeah. it always felt like we all knew it was it going was, on, but yeah. no one. No one was saying anything to anyone. Yeah. Everyone right. has a black eye. Well, yeah, everyone's got a little scar drawn on for an audition. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh, no, that, no. Oh, that's nothing. That was that's, a, that's completely... Oh, I forgot yeah. to my red wig. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so this is why it was a raised eyebrow conversation and nothing else. It was so secret. Um, so it was kind of amazing. So through the rehearsal process, we kept checking in with each other and then uh, found out that we were cast actually on my birthday. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so we kind of from then until, that, which was in February, until it was announced in September, mm. had that entire time to kind of go, oh, we are going to be playing these roles and we're going to be eventually married and... <laughs> 
it's kind of a weird little engagement period. <laughs> I love that you found out because you found out on your birthday yeah. at like a bar, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and didn't tell people still, no, which well, is amazing. There which was is amazing so much. self-control. I just like... <laughs> I, I just find that incredibly admirable. But it, it was all of the like NDA, non-disclosure agreements, mm. and all of the like. You must be silent about it. But yeah, my phone was ringing. It was on the table, and um, people could see that it was my agent. And so when I went to take the call, and she said, "You're good," I just had to keep this really blank face and go back and go. Oh, she was calling for my birthday. Still waiting to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. What is? I'm I'm curious about like the audition process. I mean, how many stages of that is there? Like, what does that involve? Well, it involved uh, um, many stages and very different stages for all of us, mm. I think, actually. Yeah, um, sure. So they auditioned, I don't know how many thousands of people, but lots. Uh, some sent self-tapes in as well. Some people came in for an, an initial audition. Um, some of that was just with the casting director here in Australia. And there were kind of then stages of, and then you'd potentially see the international and then you'd see um, John Tiffany came over for the event, like, uh, callback period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and as I said, there was a movement component, so we worked with Stephen Hoggett, who's the movement director. Um, and then because there are all these different uh, physical components as well, that people would be taken to do various testing for all of sure. that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so some people had a really elongated, very um, multifaceted process. Some people came in and did, uh, you know, one or two sort of sessions. It was, yeah, it, it's very specific to the requirements of the show, mm. I think, which was... Just check your wand flick is... Definitely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It was a lot like taking our OWLs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. And you passed, clearly. And we passed, so, so yeah, thank nice. goodness. Um, yeah. Had you seen... So seeing the production is part of that whole process, like the London or... Well, I, so I was told not to. I mean, not that I, I could have very easily flown over to London and seen it, but I was encouraged. I, don't, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a hard and fast rule, but I was strongly encouraged not to see it, mm. um, which was something that I had no problem with. I yeah. was super happy to kind of experience it all firsthand and let the experience be really fresh and... Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm interested that you, you did see it. Yeah, before um, auditions here. So, yeah, no, of course, yeah. but I mean, how that affected your kind yeah, of... I don't know that it did necessarily. I mean, I remember being blown away, and but then certainly even in rehearsals, Stephen or John would say to me, oh, and you remember this, and I'd go... Oh. I don't. <laughs> I suppose, I mean, there's it's, so much to take in. There's six yeah. hours of theatre. Like, how do you remember? And there's always something to look at. And exactly. Sort of, yeah. But, I mean, because it is, it is so long in a way. Like, it, it's sort of like it is this kind of mammoth. Like, it's a real experience. You go and it, it engages you and it takes you and sweeps you along for a whole day. Mm. And then when we come out, I, I love that feeling of, you know, you come out at the end of the night and it's like 10.30 or so and I think back to eight hours earlier at one yeah. o'clock when I was doing these scenes and it, it's weird to think they're the same day yeah. because it spans... I mean, the play covers four years in these people's lives and so even just that, that kind of... Yeah, it's... it's it big, is, it? and I, I think that that's amazing for the audiences as well, actually. Totally. That you, you have to come and and commit, and that sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? You must commit. Um, in a good way. In a great way. Yeah. You, you come and you, you spend the whole day with us. Like, that's yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. And you, you see part one, and then you go and have dinner and talk about it, and then you come back and you see part two, and you get to know the people sitting next to you. Yeah. And I don't know. That's the one I love. People, telling, people yeah. have told me stories, and friends who have come have been like, yeah, I met the person I met next to me. We had this amazing conversation. and Exactly. Stuff like that happens all the time. It's it's cool. And it makes it an event. And I think theatre as an event is not something that we 
that we get to do all that often necessarily. We sort of, you know, the one hour, the one act play became really popular for a long time there. Get in, see the show, get out, go and have dinner. But this is this is not that at all. And I think by the 10.30 when we're meeting audience members after the um, the second part, they're kind of just as proud of themselves as yeah. they are of us, you <laughs> know. And they, we, did real, we did they're it. They're very thing. personal. Very, like they yeah. come and they, we've literally spent the day together. Exactly. So there's that, they like give us hugs and they're like, hey, yeah. like it's so good to finally kind of yeah, yeah, you, meet I you. Know you. I know you. And we're like, yeah. You know, it's true in a way. Like, yeah. we've kind of shared this really beautiful thing together. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. I also love walking around the city in between shows because um, I, I, I don't know about you, I never get recognised. No. Ever. Um, That's the benefit of a wig, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> For so many of us. Not that I wear one, but, no. <laughs> but yes, I think, I think without a true. wand, it's hard to kind of pin, pin me to Potter. But um, I love walking around the city between shows and hearing people talk about it and seeing yeah, people yeah. in badges and scarves and robes and, yeah. and, and you, you know, within a kind of 500-metre radius of the theatre, I can go in any direction and hear people being like, did you see the part with the bed? <laughs> like, oh, my God. That was – and it's, like, yeah. it's fantastic. It's so cool. I like it's great. In fact, just yesterday I heard a girl go, oh, oh, that's where Harry Potter is. Okay, I know where we are now. <laughs> wow, this this is the landmark of, like, your version that of the city. is, like, the um, – Amazing, right? Classic. And the theatre is beautiful. Like, they, they did a huge renovation on the Princess Theatre. It the- looks amazing. I remember I looked down at the carpet and I was like, oh, it's, it's Hogwarts carpet. <laughs> yeah. And I got really excited and I was like, they've really, you know, backed this. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's part of it as well. Like what you said, it's this whole experience. Yeah. You're there for a long time. Like, you might see it over two nights or in the whole day and you're in this brand new environment. And the cliffhanger, like, after part one, two is like... Yeah. It's intense. It gets, isn't it's it? meant to get you talking, so I think it does the job well. Yeah. I find it so interesting that you've never seen it as a audience member though. I know. Is it's it's really odd. I mm. think about that a lot, actually. I'm part of this thing and I'll never really I mean I'll yeah, I'll never see it in a way. Um yeah. And yeah. lots, of, lots of the cast haven't seen it. Yeah, right. Um, okay. I, I th- they were really good during technical rehearsals, which is when we're first in the theatre and going through things for the first time, that when we first got in, they were like, all right, everyone sit down and we're going to show you a number of the effects because otherwise we're yeah. never going to get through this because, because we'll all be running going, around going... Can we just come out the front and <laughs> have a quick look at this, though, before... So, we d- so I have seen kind of chunks on it, but, mm. yeah, I've never experienced it, a, experienced it as a whole kind mm. of... Yeah, I guess being part of it kind of it does trump that in some ways. I guess. Oh, I, I yeah. I mean, Sorry. I know what I choose, but like, <laughs> I don't but, feel bad for you. So it's sure, fun. no, <laughs> guys, it's really hard. I'll never get to, you know, and we do watch yeah. from the wings the side of stage. Yeah, very often, mm. and um, and that is such yeah. a joy to be able to stand there every night and go, God, these people are good. The show is amazing. I mean, there's one scene. There's one scene in particular that I always that I, I do every night, and I always look over and see you. And it's, oh, it's, sorry, <laughs> no, I, it's it's incredibly beautiful. It's really like it's it's there's a real. I mean, we have obviously now we've been in re- we were in rehearsals for you know four months, and we've been playing now for two and a half. So we've mm. been together for six yeah. months, and you know in that environment, you create a family dynamic really fast, and yeah. there's a lot of love in our company. Um, and to look over every night and see you mm. sitting there in the wings watching watching this scene, it's always really beautiful and humbling and it's always lovely a really to good feel. scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't fishing for that, but thank you. That's, that's it worked out just as planned. Oh, no, it's, stop it. Come on, let's do it. I've embraced like, my mum role perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Richard E. Grant, and you're listening to Triple R. Cheers and chin-chin. 
Uh, you are listening to Zero G on Triple R. I'm Megan McHugh and I'm sitting here with Sean Reese Weems and Lucy Golby from Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. They play Albus Potter and Ginny Weasley, respectively. I do want to talk a little bit about the characters that you play. Um, so, Lucy, I thought you mentioned before it's interesting that you're kind of more connected with the books and you are playing an established character. So, yeah. unlike Sean, which is kind of a new character, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about sort of how you approached that and, like, sort of your interpretation of, of Ginny and what mm. she would be like for the production. Yeah, I think we're, we're incredibly lucky because we have this amazing backstory and we've got all of that detail of what who they were as children, what they went through, yeah. um, you know, what their relationships were and, and all of that. So there's this wealth of information. And then we have the brilliant disclaimer of the 19 years in between. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> where we got to invent that bit. So yeah. so we kind of got the, had the best of both worlds, really. Um, and so then and then we spent a lot of the rehearsal process then talking about that. What does that mean? What did it look like in between? What happened? Um, you know, what does it mean to now have been married to someone for 20 years and have three kids together? Um, what are the adult relationships between these um, established characters, Ron and Hermione, and how often do they hang out? What does yeah. it look like? Um yeah, and I guess it was really important to to also protect both of those things, um, to, to protect the version of Ginny that people have from the books um, and then also to introduce them to her as an adult and and show how we change and, and what our kind of core values are that we hold on to um, and what we, what we have to learn to adapt to as an adult. Um, and being a parent changes you and being in a long-term relationship changes you and... Uh, yeah, and I think, and to me, and I think most of us actually, that that was really a, a core component of this was the relationships had to be solid. The magic and the spectacle is is fantastic, but if it's not, um, you know, counterposed with something that is really true and genuine and and makes you love these people and not like them at all and want them to succeed and want them to fail, why are we watching this? So. I think, and certainly, Which, you know, just to jump in, I mm. think is also very similar to how the books are structured. Yeah, there, there's like there, there's such fun and frivolity in the Potter series. Of course, it's about a boy wizard. Like, what's not to kind of, you know, be taken with? But you know, you, you, there are seven of them. Like, yeah. you you can't sustain that that <laughs> sort it. of thing without having a heart to it that is mm. really. Mm like viscerally beating like you really have to see a beating heart within the story to kind of go along with it. i mean i'm kind of literally repeating exactly what you're saying but yeah. <laughs> but it's just i think it is really true i think there yeah. is such heart to not only outplay but also just the whole kind of series that mm. um yeah which is you know in, is really important and also as actors we love story and that's a huge part of story absolutely and a huge part of why we buy into story i think mm. and you know for the people that come that are harry potter fans when we first appear um, you know, as a family, you can feel them kind of go, <gasps> and you, you know, there's this great sense of being like, yeah, hey guys, hey, yeah. like here we are, let's yeah. do this thing. And then we yeah. get to take the people that they love and say, and now let's introduce you to a whole side of them that you weren't expecting. Yeah. And and those moments are such wonderful ones, I think. You can hear a pin drop when there's a surprise revelation about um, a character or or somebody says something that you just go, what? That, what? what, ha- what? Yeah. <laughs> there were lots of gasps in the, yeah. when I went to see it, there was a few things which you kind of know if you're a little familiar, like if you've read the script, but yeah. there are a lot of times where people are obviously coming at it for the first time, uh, something near the start, and someone was like, oh, what? And yeah, then everybody yeah, kind totally. of laughed, and it really created this nice vibe where it's like, yeah, we're all going on this journey. Yeah. Strap in, it's going to be eight hours worth or whatever, yeah, yeah. but in a really exciting way. 
Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't know if I really answered your question about character. Um, <laughs> I read the books a lot. We talked a lot. We, in fact, still send each other, um, Gareth and I and, and some of the others, send each other little photos of segments of the books. Mm. We're all kind of rereading them always um, and at different stages. And, yeah. yeah, and every now and then I'll get a little photo of a page with, you know, like Ginny and Harry were blah, 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 blah or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's part of it too, like focusing on, on who they were and and then how do we make them our own? Yeah. And I, I will say as well, like, I really loved your portrayal of Ginny. I think oh, she thanks. very much, for me, felt like what Ginny from the books would be yeah. older. Yeah, Like, great. you know, quite headstrong, but still just, like, super likeable and, mm. you know, kind of keeps everyone in line but isn't bossy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think you do a really lovely job. Thank you. Uh, and I guess so for you, coming at a brand new character that has never really been seen on totally. screen before or is, isn't as familiar to some people, kind of how do you, and you know, you were coming at it fresh, like you said, you hadn't seen any other portrayals of Albus Potter before. Yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, so the first thing I did when I got cast is I reread all the books from Woe to Go. Mm-hmm. And getting to that final epilogue where you first, where you meet Albus for the first time. It, it was incredibly... It was a very profound experience. It was because, you know, I read yeah. them so quickly because I loved them already and I knew that I had to get through them before rehearsal started and then getting there, it was it was incredibly... Uh, yeah, just... I don't know how to describe it. It was incredibly profound. I took... I tried to take from that. It's a pretty limited viewing of Albus. It's it's sort of, you know, it's only a chapter and it's quite a short one. Um, but but there are... When you do start to dissect it, there are clues there. A lot of... In terms of... In terms of uh, research and building this character. I looked a lot at Harry. Mm. I think Albus is really similar to his dad. That's a lot of his journey. Not to yeah. give too much away is his relationship with his dad. So to I, I I thought it would be you know a mistake on my part to not look really deeply at Harry as a character. Um, again, not to give too much away, but you know he, ha- Albus has to come to terms with a lot of who his dad is. Yeah. Um, and so it's really easy to read the, the Harry Potter story and and just love and adore this character and also really pity him um, because of his hardships, which, uh, I, you know, in no way am I taking away from. But the nature of my part and my job, it felt like it was incumbent upon me to to look at Harry as a person and mm. see the flaws and see how he might affect those around him with his behaviour because, you know, we he, he is flawed in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, that really felt like my job. That felt like something I had to do because, you know... I, I, I had to. That was my job. <laughs> That's, I don't know. Like, who else would? That's yeah. As yeah. The, you know. No, it's really true. And I think you and I maybe are alone in that, in the show. Of, totally. Of, totally. You know, everybody else has the Harry Potter worship. And although some people, to a certain extent, Hermione and Ron know where his flaws are and his weaknesses and, and will poke at him about them, I think, you know, Albus goes, but hang on, you also need to be my dad. And, totally. and who is that person that's not a celebrity? Yeah. And Ginny's also, and in the books also, the only one going, I, I really, like the whole Harry Potter thing, whatever. Mm. I wanted to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm much more yeah. interested in who you are as a person and whether or not you're famous or you've done all of those things is completely irrelevant to her. And and I think that's really why they work is because she, even in the books, is, is so, she's always so underwhelmed by all of the mythology. And I think that's exactly what then Albus is saying. Well, I, I get all of the mythology, but that, that doesn't bring you any closer to me. Totally. So. That's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, if anything, it's a detriment. That yeah. kind of, that, mm. that, um, yeah, that chasm between them is hugely about the Harry Potter legacy and yeah. mythology of who he is. And we looked a lot at um, celebrity families and celebrity culture yeah. and, what do, and, and how do you parent publicly and mm. how do you, you know, what, what does that mean to be brought into something that you had no control over? You just totally. are famous because your parents are. Yeah. I remember this is a 
total sidebar, so I'm going to make this a very quick anecdote. But it reminds me of Chris Rock has this bit where he talks about how he can't relate to his kids' upbringing because they grew up as rich kids and he didn't grow sure. up that way. And so he sees them in a totally different way. Yeah. Um, and he just can't really relate to them because th- their life has been so different to his life experience growing up. Yeah. Anyway, right. so I feel like in some ways the celebrity parallel yeah. is quite interesting because, you know, Harry Potter is a celebrity. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And for very good reason. Like, there's also that. As you say, you can't undermine or dismiss anything that he went through. Exactly. Um, Yeah, but, you know, it's it's who we are today that makes us people. But I also think a huge part of Albus's frustration is that he does understand that he's a celebrity for a reason. I think he Mm. does have quite a good grasp on what his dad has done and achieved and all the people he saved and and all the selflessness that he has, you know, achieved. Um, and, and, And... what I think Albus finds so frustrating is that he does understand that he mm. know he, you know he gets that there is importance to what Harry has done, but yeah, that. But it's not no the closer. most important thing. No, like that, no, and it can't be. And I think that's exactly where you and I are aligned in that. Yeah. Is going, that is not. That will never be the most important thing about you. Yeah. Like you don't need him to be Harry Potter. You need him to be like your husband or your dad. That's yeah. it. Like, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. Um, I'm aware of our time, but I did just want to quickly touch on. And without spoilers, obviously, because it's a very big part of the joy of the show, but rehearsing some of the onstage effects. So <laughs> The magic. Yes. It so always comes down to that. Without, you know, giving anything away, but, like, how rigorous and, like, difficult was that process to kind of get that right? I have a really good story about this. One of the things that I loved most about rehearsals is every day I'd, we'd get sent a schedule. And our schedule for the next day always reminded me of a Hogwarts timetable for classes. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> you'd look at it and it would be A, like, it was landscape. Like, that's how many columns totally, there were about what oh, we yeah, needed to do. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. There's, like, <laughs> columns and rows because we would split up. And, and you'd look at it and it would be like, you know, transfiguration class or polyjuice class or and, like, like yeah. flying lesson. And mm. all of these things were – they sound exactly like – yeah, it was re- that was a lot of fun. I will say this: uh, uh, the magic is does not come easy to everyone. And I learned that the hard way. I spent a lot of time being like, we do the scene, and then we get up to the point of the magic, and I'd be like, I in a couple of weeks, I'm going to do this thing here. Just everyone in the room, just so you know, that's what's going to happen. But for now, we're just going to pretend. It was like oh, I haven't quite mastered it yet. But we had um, two full time illusionists in the room with us from day one, so they taught us um, magic, like basic magic. Yeah, not it's not basic at all. Foundational. Magic again, Harry Potter timetable, <laughs> um, and then and then they spent a lot of time individually with everybody with their with their separate tricks. Um, but I also will say, there's it's all theatre magic. Mm. It's it's very manual. It's very old school. It's um, John calls it rough magic. It's rough theatre. It's it's made by us in front of you. And I think that actually is the genius of the show is mm. that it's it's doing what theatre does really well. It's not trying to emulate film or TV, you know, they can do naturalism perfectly, obviously. They, they can do the actual thing. Um, whereas the joy for us, and I think the audience, is going, oh, but that that person just did something in front of me that I don't understand. Or I have, you know, a couple of guesses at how they did it. Or, But, yeah, I guess it's like when you go and see a magician and you kind of... It's a, I guess I want to say there's no tricks. Obviously, there are because it is our trick. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, we, I know what you like mean, though, because it doesn't yeah. feel yeah. easy. Like it's not like yeah. it's not a trick in the sense that we're kind of 
you know, deceiving you. I think if I think exactly. a really keen eye could almost work it out, and and that's fine mm. because that's what Harry Potter is is that you see them doing magic. So when you see us doing magic, and it kind of works seamlessly within the yeah. scene, and and it like it's yeah, there is, and it's also ne- the it. never it the works. yeah, it's never the ta-da moment. It's no, never the like oh, and never magic. A, it always sure. is just like scene, 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 magic, scene, scene, magic, scene, scene, magic. Totally, yeah, totally. Like, what? Just and like it, it would be in the in. Wizarding exactly. World. That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, which is so much fun about it, which is, like, yeah. it's great. And I guess that's, you know, to kind of come full circle to go back to what I was saying about the books is that that's what the books allow you to do as well and that's that's what the show allows you to do is go, oh, I can I can see the person and I can work out almost what they're doing and then also not quite. It's, mm. And that, I think, is the Harry Potter franchise. It yeah. says that kid is just like me with a little bit of magic. Mm. Um, and that I guess that's what we all hope for, right? Totally. <laughs> Really? There's a world that's just like this one, just sort of a little bit more special. More special, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much. I did just have one last yeah, question. Uh, which house do you identify with? Oh. We're the same, aren't we? Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. Yeah. Nice. Me too. We were, we were nice. sorted very early on and then uh, we had house cups every ah, week throughout rehearsal. Sort. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. sorting. I forgot about that. Every week we'd get <laughs> points taken and given for certain behaviours and at the end of each week we'd give out a house cup. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, That's nice. Yeah. Is there an even amount of, like, different houses represented? There's a disproportionate number of Gryffindors and Ravenclaws. Yeah. I um, think Ravenclaw, there are most Ravenclaws. Yeah. Um, and then lots of Gryffindors. Not- I tell you what, though, the Hufflepuff kind of collective mm. is quite a, is a profoundly oh, and strong one. They're a force. <laughs> they, they're sort of like the shadow government who kind of control the whole thing. <laughs> we don't really have a director. It's just the Hufflepuffs. It's just kind of... <laughs> Um, well, congratulations on being part of a really wonderful production. I think you both do a splendid job, and I absolutely loved it. I raved about it a lot to everybody. <laughs> and uh, so Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is playing at the Princess Theatre, which shows on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So it is a show in two parts, so head along to the website harrypottertheplay.com or Ticketek for more information on the show and tickets. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Sean and Lucy, and I look forward to seeing you on stage for the second time when I go again, which I inevitably will. Hey, love it. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you. I'm Gillian Anderson. I'm very sexy (laughs) in an odd way, and I don't want to hear your radio. Thanks to Megan and our special guests there, all whisked away by the Hogwarts Express. (laughs) You can tell I don't know a whole lot about Harry Potter. I make the lamest um, muggle jokes about it. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, we are moving on, and I think I'll play a track here from David Bowie for our Bowie of the Week track. And I reckon, since we've been talking about Harry Potter, I think we should have a letter to Hermione, which uh, is a remastered version in this case from 2015. So... Yeah, see, I do know a little bit, although I can't really say what house I would be. I think it's something like the House of Kalis. Uh, there is a House of Kalis, isn't there, in the Harry Potterverse? I don't know. Hi, this is Scott Bakula. Welcome aboard Zero G on free Triple R FM. And of course, that was Miss Bowie there with a letter to Hermione, which is actually, uh, I think she was uh, one of his former girlfriends, Hermione Farthingale and sort of broken up with her and was moving on. It's a very ballady sort of folk bit there from 1969, I think. Right, now, 
moving along here on Zero G today. Rob Jan here at the helm. And we are sad to announce the passing of one of the truly great um, science fiction fantasy writers, Vonda N. McIntyre, who was born in 1948 and passed away on April 1st this year. She was a US-American science fiction writer and was born in, uh, I think, um, Kentucky. Uh, She had metastatic pancreatic cancer. Now, in addition to a considerable treasure trove of award-winning and critically acclaimed and, and quite beautifully crafted genre novels and anthologies, she also helped countless other writers perfect their trade by co-founding the Clarion West Writers' Workshop in Seattle. Um, she also worked on workshops in Melbourne and Auckland, and uh, other places around the world. So a lot of the stuff that she did behind the scenes in the science fiction world was of equal importance to the work that she had published. I think she worked with uh, Christopher Priest and George Turner here when she did one of the, um, the writer's courses. In a Star Trek context, which is where I encountered her work first, she was one of the outstanding contributors of high-quality novelizations of movies, as well as her own original tie-in novels that championed the idea that Star Trek spin-offs could be the equal of any mainstream science fiction work. She wrote these two benchmark classic Trek original series-related novels, The Entropy Effect in 1981 and Enterprise, The First Adventure in 86, interwoven with some remarkably nuanced and very finely detailed novelizations of the movies, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, and number four in the series, The Voyage Home collected in 2004 in one big, big book as uh, Duty, Honour and Redemption. Now, reading her uh, Trek novels in particular, I felt that the characters became even more three-dimensional as they took advantage of the density of signal afforded by the printed page. Of course, she was also known for stirring into her Star Trek stories plenty of fully realised, wholly original characters, such as the formidable Captain Mandela Flynn, who worked her way up from security and survived. (laughs) This alongside... uh, a habit of fleshing out even minor characters and for adding great depths to adversaries and antagonists. Her Khan Nunean singer was even more of a complex villain, potently filled out by filling out Ricardo Montalban's already rich screen realisation. Fonda McIntyre also gave Sulu his now canon first name, Hikaru. If you only encountered her Star Trek novels, know that she also wrote a Star Wars tie-in in 1994 called The Crystal Star. And beyond that, well, lie her even more elegantly sophisticated original tales. Just for some samples, try, treat yourself to Fire Flood and other stories from 1979 or The Elegant of Mist and Grass and Sand, which she expanded into the novel Dream Snake or her ambitious Starfarers series from the 80s and 90s. Just to start with, there's so many more works of Fonda McIntyre. She was a writer's writer who made a difference and will be much missed by all who knew her in 
person or via the legacy of her remarkable work. Sincere condolences to her family, friends and extended family of fans throughout the world. Now, I think I'll play a track here, although Vonda McIntyre was very fond of um, of uh, country and western music, apparently. Uh, I've got a track here called Dream Snake, after her novel. I don't know if it's actually got anything to do with it, but I like the track anyway. It's um, by the Brooklyn Gypsies and from their album Sin Fronteras. A dream snake. In the marmalade forest, forest. Between the make-believe trees G'day, I'm Brent McKenzie I played an In elf in Lord of the Rings My dad played Ellen Dole the King You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R, And I have one thing to say My name is Figwit the Elf You killed my father, prepare to die Yeah, that was a Dream Snake By the Brooklyn Gypsies From their Sin Fronteras album memorialising the late, great Vonda N. McIntyre, American science fiction writer supreme. Now, I got uh, an email from a listener the other day. Yes, I do get emails from them. The show does. Uh, Denise is her name. And she pointed out when we were reviewing Santa Clarita Diet, uh, I said that um, the character of uh, Gary, who is a, a disembodied head, basically a zombie head, Shades of Deadpool. Um, I led people to believe that it was played in the third season by um, Nathan Fillion. Well, of course, the character started out being played by Nathan Fillion, but Denise is right in pointing out that in season three, it's actually the voice of the character is actually played by Alan Tudyk, <laughs> who's um, uh, the uh, the guy who played uh, poor old Wash in. Um, Serenity and Firefly, and of course uh, Nathan Fillion was Mel Reynolds, um, Ellen's captain. <laughs> so he's actually sounds a bit like he's uh, doing a bit of a takeoff of um, Nathan when he's speaking as Gary, the uh, the the head realtor. But uh, you know his voice has changed. I actually, did make a comment about that in the series. Nice pickup, Denise. I hadn't spotted that myself. So just something I'd like to pass on to correct the record. Yes, we do occasionally miss a few things here on Zero G, and it's nice to be informed about it when it does happen. Now, I thought I'd play you a little track that's from the soundtrack album of the magnificent Us horror movie. Well, it's actually just called Us. And this is uh, I Got Five on it, which is the Tevid mix from Us by Lunis and also featuring Michael Marshall. So here we go with I Got Five on it. Yes, some of the very atmospheric music from Jordan Peele's Us. I particularly like that soundtrack album. It's, um, I think, one of the standout horror albums of the year, and it's here we are only in April. Now, um, today I think I'll go out with a track from... A zombie musical. <laughs> uh, it's called Anna and the Apocalypse, and the soundtrack's been released as well. And um, it's this was actually the cast from the the movie Anna and the Apocalypse. Uh, zombie musicals, well, they have been known to exist, and this one is 
a 2017 um, Scottish Christmas <laughs> zombie musical, which ticks all the boxes, really, for me. And um, was directed by John McPhail, who's done a lot of camera work on movies and television, but his main claim to fame is Anna and the Apocalypse. This is his, uh, his first real directorial move as um, a filmmaker. It stars Ella Hunt as Anna Shepard, and she's uh, someone we've seen before in genre in Robot Overlords in 2014. And um, this particular movie, as I said, set at Christmas, it is a musical, so a little bit like a Buffy musical in a way, which is dear to my heart. Uh, And, you know, if it was just a musical just with the songs alone, it would be pretty good. But adding in Christmas and zombies, well, that's just all good, isn't it? Uh, The the story, well, it's basically a high school horror story as they're all winding up for the school year and about to zap off to careers and parts unknown because it's sort of like their senior year. And, uh, well, we'll reveal it another day, but we'll just go out with a track from it just to give you a bit of a a taste for it. Uh, Astral Glamour coming up next. And uh, thank you to Megan and Elizabeth and everybody from the Harry Potter and the Cursed... Cursed, I'll go with that, Cursed Child production for that uh, very informative interview today. I have to laugh at the phrase foundational magic. That is just so cool. All right, let's go out with this track then. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.